It's Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus with David Silver, my, I wouldn't say, I can't say tonto to the... Oh, if you say that, I'm working out. Yeah, that's so, terrible. So just don't say that. Okay, I won't say Riding that. Riding out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, and, and we do that because we have today uh, somebody uh, who is is really new to David. It's So this is going to be a new friend, and uh, for me it's an old friend. And uh, it's kind of a Skype friend, though, because we've only actually met on Maui once. And it is Jamie Cotto. And Jamie is the uh, progenitor of One Giant Leap. And it's uh, part two. Uh, maybe we can't call it that. But uh, what about me? And uh, really, I have to tell you, folks, if you have not watched One Giant Leap, you must. It is an incredible pastiche. It's like a painting around the world and the merging of different music and culture and spiritual uh, wisdom. It is, uh, it's really staggering. I'm not saying that just because, Jamie. I mean it. I bet you do. You're quite right to mean it. Yeah, and uh, so uh, go to Amazon. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com and we have our Amazon link, as we have been pestering you about week after week after week, uh, to bookmark it. You know, Jamie, because they're going to go by one giant leap, especially after they hear a couple of cuts. And uh, and, and a, it, it's going to be wonderful for you. It's going to be wonderful for them to experience it and wonderful us to, for us to get a little bit of support because, you know, we get a few shekels out of every purchase at Amazon as an affiliate, and that's how do we you? do these podcasts. That's more, that's more than I get, but that's fantastic. I'll, I'll just oh. take, I'll, I'll take the glory. <laughs> we'll take, uh, we'll share some shekels with you. Don't okay. worry. Okay. Uh, so, Jamie, welcome to uh, Mind Rolling. Thank you. Good job, us. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Um, so, uh, one of the first things that's uh, real important. Uh, to us, uh, and we uh, we bring this up with everybody we first have on, and that is tell us a little bit. Of what are we, what were the uh, those transformers we call them? Uh, incidents, uh, piece of music, uh, anything. I'm not going to put any words uh, to you, but uh, what were the transformers you had that made you? just begin to be on a path of uh, awareness that uh, what we've been spoon-fed isn't reality? Um, I'm not sure about that, uh, that, I'm gonna, that I want to condone that statement that what we've been spoon-fed isn't reality. We can park that. The, the main number one <clears throat> landmark transformative thing, which is the same thing I've come back to uh, for 25 years, is, uh, is Ramdas, you know, the... First, that was my first experience of anything which talked about spiritual things or talked about self-development things. Um, we used to go around to a friend of mine's house years ago to do a naked yoga class, and um, at the end of it, she would she would uh, we'd have a meal, all eating with our fingers and stuff like that, and then everyone would chill out and lie lie down and, and meditate. And often they would put on a Randas um, cassette. In those days, they mm. were cassettes, <laughs> and uh, it totally blew my mind, you know, it totally inspired me, you know, it just made me feel so happy and mm. so um, connected and, you know, he has a way of expressing which is, is, you know, stripped 
of all the fluffy dolphins and all the trappings of the new age, which can be a real turnoff. He's very practical, and 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 also he includes his own <clears throat> he includes his own fallibility and foolishness and mischief um, front and center, which has always been for me the greatest signifier of wisdom. Is uh, you know Tom Robbins once said, if it's not playful, it's not wise. And um, his playfulness, his fallibility, his extreme articulate clarity, the combination of those three things were exactly the the peg that fitted my hole uh, at that time in my life. And um, I was in my early 20s. And um, then out of the blue, I got my girlfriend pregnant and um, I had to stop playing music all the time you know I could still carry on being in the band but I couldn't just be I had to actually go and get a job teaching English and get some money in and uh, it was quite a sort of turning point in my life to be able to have to do something that wasn't directly musical it was and out of the blue it turned out that a month later Ramdas was uh, coming to the UK to teach a 10-day retreat in an old board boarding school or somewhere that they had rented and I was straight there and uh Again, it was a really life-changing experience to be among all these different... I was definitely the youngest person there, but... How old were you? All these really great people, and there was a guy doing chanting, and there was a guy doing all this different stuff, and and I remember... How, how old were you, Jamie? I don't know, I was about 22 or something, 23. And and Ramdas. The Another cool thing about him uh, is that he, in the lunch breaks... He stands in the queue in the cafeteria with everybody else. He doesn't do the sort of, oh, I have to go and meditate and be the teacher at lunchtime and go off um, mm. on his own. You know, he was always mingling with everybody and just totally part of it all. And one time we sat and had lunch together and I said to him, I, I'd realized during the workshop that I had uh, I'd come all that way just so that he could tell me I was a good son. Uh, I told him that. Mm -hmm. And, and he wasn't having any of it. And he's, he's had none of my, all the times I've hung out with him, he's had absolutely none of my manipulations. He just bats them straight back to me every single time. And on this occasion, once again, he looked me in the eye and go, well, are you? <laughs> um, anyway, you know, I've hung out with him the times when I've interviewed him for both the One Giant Leap movies and the recent film that we just started and, and um, also back then, 20, 25 years ago. And, and it's it's been no different. You know, it's always been... The clearest, most undeverish teacher that I've ever had the pleasure of being in the company of, and uh, yeah, he's well, very, very special to me. So, Dave, you and I now don't have to feel so bad about talking about Ramdas all the time on these podcasts. <laughs> if we we couldn't have had any anybody more uh, more better articulate the the, uh, the what we've been getting all these years too, Jamie. I, uh, you know parallel to that in a way back then just simply what was some of the music that was drawing you you know magnetizing you what, peter what, gabriel yeah peter gabriel's music was one of my first big turn-ons um mm. pink floyd uh and and um harry prasad Sharazia and zaki hussein from zaki hussein from mm. india right uh they were they were a big turn-on but really music Music was more as in, in parallel to the turn-on that was already going on. I, there haven't been a lot of musical things that have taken me from not turned on to turned on. They were just great accompaniments to the turn-on that was going on, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I loved uh, Talking Heads for a long time. Not that that was particularly connected to what we're talking about now, but there was something about the essence of David Burns' music and his 
total surrender to chaos. Um, there was an album called My Life in the Bush of Ghosts that Amazing. he did by Brian Eno, which is yeah. spectacular. Yeah. And when I heard Peter Gabriel's The Passion, which was the music for the Last Temptation of Christ movie, that changed everything for me musically. That was my introduction into you know what you might call world music, um, artists and players and singers who were from different countries. Um, and when I heard that album, I actually left <clears throat> the band that I was in at the time and started a thing called Thin Buddha, which I, was, which I just wanted to do stuff which didn't have drum kits and verse, chorus, verse, chorus. I wanted to do stuff which was more filmic and epic and, and, and you know, using the duduk a lot from Armenia and Turkey, the, the, the oboe there, and um, Middle Eastern vocals and, and Indian sounds and African rhythms. And that, that was really, um, that was about eight or so years before One Giant Leap, five years maybe. Mm. Um, so yeah, those those kind of things. Sacred music, um, a lot of Middle Eastern stuff and Indian stuff. Um, I also really love, which is what I you tend to make now. Really, really empty music. You know, um, when we learn how to listen, and and on my workshops we teach this thing called full body listening. We turn on our body to be a, a whole listening device, so we're not just listening with our ears. We're using all our skeleton and our skin and our liquids and our whole body to be an inc the incredible, sophisticated, listening, intuitive device that it is. And when we sit opposite each other, we listen to each other bodily. We try and listen to the space between the atoms. We try and listen to the words, and then we try and listen to what made those words come out. So not just the sound of the words, but what was the root energy or intention that made those words come forth. And Debussy said that music is the space between the notes. So for me, making incredibly spacious music and the kind of music, we just did an album called Music for Dissolving. Right. Um, the music that, that really makes you yearn, that really makes you feel the things that are inside our bodies, in our hearts, in our solar plexus, the, the, and really feel the yearning and, and the and the intensity of the predicament of being a human, how Ramdas Ramdas puts it, the predicament of being a human, rather than trying to think of the concept of why I feel that and what did mummy do to me, just go into the moment now of where it's really feeling and feel it, feel it deeply and dissolve it or just be with it, oxygenate it. That's a great passion of mine. And that's where music is taking me right now into just deep, deep feeling. Hmm. Tell us about, you know, so you started talking about a little bit about workshops and stuff, you know, and of course, my familiarity and David's, of course, is uh, around music and film and uh, not workshops and stuff. Tell us about wh what led you there. What's going on there? When we would do question and answer sessions at the end of the screenings of One Giant Leap movies, they would always turn into these beautiful, intimate, interpersonal conversations about, you know, the nature of being and, and, I started uh, wanting to teach workshops to help people bring their big project into the world, you know, because one thing I do, do know how to do is have a wacky idea, but actually take the excited and inspired actions that make it actually happen in the world, not just chat to my friends about it. Um, so we started doing, I started teaching workshops about how to, you know, bring your idea out of your head into the world. Mm. And as I was teaching them, I realized on day one of the workshop that it didn't matter what practical things I taught people about the A's and the B's and the C's of action until you were actually yourself in your biggest most unapologetic juicy space there's no point in you creating anything so the workshops actually became much more directed all of their own accord they became much more directed about us stepping out of our usual appropriate 
violently edited versions of ourselves and exploring and playing with all the sort of places where we've shut down, places where we've believed other people's beliefs or negative things about us. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm too much like this. I'm not enough like that. All these beliefs we have about ourselves that cause us through our approval addiction to, to, to in a way, prostitute ourselves down into a much smaller, unfabulous shape of who we are so that we don't get rejected by everybody. Um, to explore the edges of that and to re-welcome and reclaim all the parts of ourselves we've shut down so that we're really playing from a full deck creatively mm. uh, became what the workshops were all about. So mm. the second one became called Transforming Shadows, Unleash Your Creative Genius. And that, that was all about playing with inappropriateness, playing with all the places where we've hidden away, shut down, violently tried to amputate and welcoming ourselves through our creativity back to wholeness and being kind of, yeah, really inappropriate and uh, edgy, but also hilarious and foolish. Hmm. Who, what, uh, what, uh, what kind of uh, age group are you getting people coming? I'm getting people, I guess, from 25 to 70. Oh, really? It's all voluntary payment. I mean, there is a price on the workshop, but there's also, you hit the price and there's a drop-down menu that says... If you can't afford it, we definitely want you in the room. We don't want anyone missing it for money reasons. So there is a price. It's like you know, like 350 bucks or something for the weekend. But then you click the drop-down menu and it goes down in increments of 50 right the way down to zero. Do you need your travel paid for? Um, so you get a really great spread of people who never, ever get to do workshops like this because most people do workshops. They still feed the model in the world that says money equals participation. And that's not a world I want to live in. So we've removed that element. And some people pay full whack. Other people pay nothing and have their travel, everything in between. And occasionally somebody comes in and bungs you a few thousand just because they're so into it. And that pays for the next batch of, of um, starving artists to come along as well. So there's a really huge spread of age, a huge spread of everything from stockbrokers to artists. It's, it's a very, very creative idea. Yeah, it's not Actually. it's not the newest idea in the world, but I found I got the inspiration from that book Autobiography of a Yogi, mm -hmm. where he hears that he has he finds out he's a guru, so he gets on a train and just goes and sits under a tree and just trusts that God is going to bring him whatever he needs next, and and I'm always being a sort of you know ancestrally challenged seething Jew. I'm always like sort of always worrying about money and I was thinking, you know, all the overheads and the children and every month I'm sort of in the pickle about how is this going to carry on as an artist. And because I have such neurosis about poverty and running out of money, it's a really great spiritual practice for me to give everything away because, mm. it, because it really makes me challenged. It really makes that stuff come up, you know, mm. it's the ashram of scarcity doing the voluntary payment. But it also means more people are in the room. It means there are more ambassadors loving the work, walking around talking about it. It's, right. it's a bigger energy. Right. And, and there's lots of 50 bucks that I wouldn't otherwise have. So there's no real, I do it selfishly. Hmm. Uh, do you mind talking about one giant leap for a minute? No, um, you don't. I'll talk about anything you like. I'm very lonely. Well, no, but we're, we're, we're very friendly. <laughs> no, I, obviously, if people haven't seen it, um, you'll see it after you've... What you've, do you mean? No, no, a lot of people have seen no, it. No, no, but there's some who haven't. Some may And have uh, we're going to draw them in, too, and yeah. make them buy it. But, you know, it's such a vast tapestry of, of, of uh, visionaries and musicians and people... It's just amazing, and I love the juxtaposition of things on the screen. Frequently, you're seeing two things jiving together. And as a filmmaker of 47 years now, um, I've been doing it, uh, I was just, you know, kind of really blown away 
by the, the richness, the intensity of every frame. Now, I want to ask you, did you have that vast a vision of it in your brain? Because you were talking before about a workshop where you take an idea and actualize it in the universe and the world. Did you, did you have that picture, that vast picture, or did, you, did it grow? Please. Um, well, right at the beginning of the project, it was just for music. It was just because me and my friend Duncan agreed that even though we love the singers and the players of the world, none of them had made any albums we wanted to listen to. And we were kind of like, there must be a way to produce music where the genius of these singers and players from around the world actually sounds good. Because, you know, a world music album, you can very rarely listen to a whole one, uh, we found. Um, so it just began as music. But when Chris Blackwell um, signed us, he, he had a company called Palm Pictures, and he said, listen, you know, you have to make a movie that goes with this album. And that's when we went away and we had dinner, and we thought, well, we can't just make a music film because us going around the world plugging in instruments is going to be only interesting to us. But, wow, if we interviewed everyone we love and Kurt Vonnegut and Tom Robbins and criminals and gurus and, you know, street pump attendants and everybody... We can really prove the theory that everything is very, very diverse on the surface, yet very unified underneath. We can actually make a, a living proof <laughs> of that. You know, if we if we have a rabbi talking about generosity and humility or whatever, and then we cut to an imam, and then we cut to a priest, and then we cut to a Buddhist monk, and then we cut, they're all going to say the same thing. It'll be just such beautiful visual proof um, of everything we believe, and and we can gather all the things that have ever inspired us, and then weave it into a tapestry of pure emotional and articulation of everything that we're passionate about and even though we don't know what it will look like if, if we make sure when we go around the world every interview and every music session and everything we shoot is, a, is an amazing amazing jewel then when we put that jewel into a massive mosaic if every element of that mosaic is precious it will create something amazing we just don't know what it will look like that was really the, the thesis we began with thanks well it it it, it grew into this beautiful film and, and you know it's, it's silly to deconstruct films I don't I'm not going to do that uh, but I, I, I know what you mean when you say well why, we just didn't want to go out and you know um, record concerts and everything I never liked doing that either but I did it with Bob Marley and you know that was different because just being with him uh, for months on end was 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 a, a, an amazing experience and his live performances were like no one else's but on the whole I agree with you it seems why keep doing this you know we keep seeing these films documentaries one after the Foo Fighters Metallica blah, and it's become sort of empty and thin I, so I I, I, agree. I mean it's okay if you're a fan but otherwise it doesn't seem to do much uh, so anyway Raghu yeah I you know Jamie I want to uh, at this point since you know, we're talking about something that we should share, and certainly we have the music to share. So I, uh, this is a track uh, there from the the original One Giant Leap. And how do you how do you define the two of them? I mean, it's just one One Giant Leap, and then what about me? Yeah, One Giant Leap is the name of the band and the name of the first album. That was the first time we went around the world where everything was just effortless and just dropped in our lap and. Michael Stipe sang with Asha Bosley from India and she just walked out of a hotel and there she was and mm. we mic'd her up. Oh, and it was absolutely effortless. Mm. And then when we did What About Me, the second one, it was absolutely nearly killed us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times the budget, a hundred times the heartbreak. Wow. Um, but they both turned out very, you know, the second one was all about the shadow and all about 
all the things we reject and 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 push away and all the things that you know pain avoidance insatiable desire the shadow um and we reaped a lot of that while we made it whereas oh. the first one was all about inspiration and unity and and that's how that one flowed they're, they're all about unity really but uh, the second one is saying that the greatest unity is in our collective insanity <laughs> so uh, let's play this track and it's called braided hair yeah i, I, I have to tell everybody about 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 myself I wonder where the hole came from In the deeps of my heart Made me yearn for the drop It's the same place where the crosses burn The same place where the loss was earned It's the place where the floss was yearned Gold teeth and bling ice on the rings Baby, sure, yo We all got things that hang on our back Things that make us cool Things that make us whack Things that make us mad Things we wish we never had but they're just the things that make us real Not the maps to guide where we go from here The road twists and braids like hair Until we all get there Some mysteries, ancient things and beginnings. Excited about the day when I don't have to hear all the theories. My scalp needs some grease in the same place where the crosses burn, the same place where the loss was earned. The only way we all can learn is if we have these braids with the twist and turn. So we all got things that hang on our back, things that make us cool, things that make us whack, things that make us mad, things we wish we never had. Just the things that make us real Not the maps to guide where we go from here The road twists and braids like hair Until we all get there in the race of life, looking for my own pace. Not always wanting to, but I have to. Sometimes feeling like I've bitten up much more than I can chew. But the wind goes through my hand, lifts me up with ease. Not a crease, hair full of grease. No weave embracing me. It's you I see. I am you and you are me. I see, yeah. Yeah, all perish here 
Well, that uh, now I want to hear from you, Jamie. Just tell us a little bit about the uh, genesis of that particular track and how it came together. Well, those tracks began as a backing track. We didn't just go around the world and, and record people in thin air. We already had composed these backing tracks, chord changes, and some of the rhythms before we left, so that whenever we did overdubs and recordings with the artists, they would always be in rhythm and harmony with each other because they're all overdubbing on the same tracks. That one, um, we actually began from scratch when we arrived at Speech's House. Speech is the rapper from Arrested Development. It's one of our favorite positive rap groups. Mm. And um, we went around to his house in Georgia, and he was just such a great guy. He was so talented. It was like it was like being in the room with Prince or something. He's like a total virtuoso. He goes, right, give me another, give me another. You know, he just, he, he's like a circus master or a juggler or something. He can just weave magic out of thin air. And, and we had this idea. Again, it was about unity, and he decided to use the metaphor of braided hair, all these strands that are, that are woven together. And, and we'd also just been working in L.A. with this great scratch DJ from Beck's band called DJ Swamp, and he'd done this kind of do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do scratch. And the two things just came together amazingly. Um, then Yulali, who are the American um, First Nation singers, three women, um, did this really heartful, yearning um, piece that kind of went in the middle of it. And, and when we got back to London, we were kind of finished with it. But then I was, I was at one of the British uh, TV shows, music shows, hanging about, trying to make friends, and bumped into Nena Cherry, um, and uh, she really loved I put the headphones on her and said what do you think of this she loved it and came down to the studio the next day and laid down her vocal um, so it was a very again like all the tracks on one giant leap they just happened totally effortlessly uh, and uh, that was one of them yeah mm, great track um, well I'm going to I want to go right into it and, and get, a, uh, get going on a track from What About Me and this is called Wounded in All the Right Places I can't kiss away these tears I would miss your edges, your cliffs, they are We reveal we are wounded in 
Well, that's uh, my favorite, one of my favorite singers in the world, Katie Lang. Talk about this track, Jamie. Well, I was very lucky when we first, when she first agreed to do it because she'd seen the first one, Giant Leap. Um, we went and had dinner in Los Angeles, and luckily for me, she said, "I don't feel like writing lyrics at the moment. Will you write the lyrics for me?" And I was like, "I'm so glad you said that because I've got this idea." Yeah. The whole thesis, you know, a huge part of this film is that I wouldn't change any of the things, the harsh lessons or the hard ways that, that that life has sculpted you the big impacts and the because it, it sculpted you into the unique being that i'm now in love with and that's the idea behind the song wounded in all the right places is that the difficult challenging things that happen to us are actually training us or sculpting us or pruning us or you know forming us into these unique you know some of our greatest beauty is through the suffering that we've been through and and survived and we come out of the dark dark minds that we're thrust down into with the jewel in our hand of to be of service to everybody else and so wounded in all the right places is really a celebration of of that that we're all wounded in all the right places to be sculpted into the beautiful unique beings that we now are um Stuart Copeland the, the police drummer plays the hi-hat in that track oh, really? amazing as well and um yeah it was it was really fun to go around to her house because she's she looks like she's a quite serious person, but actually if you're in her company for more than five minutes, you realize she's a total goofy clown mm. and she's a massive mischief maker. Um, she also is a, is a quite uh, full-on, I think, Tibetan Buddhist. Oh, absolutely. I and she has all llamas coming around to her house or, yeah. or ripochets coming around to her house. She has a little house at the end of her garden, especially for them, and, and um, she's right into that stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, that's where I bumped into her, was at His Holiness the Dalai Lama, an event. Uh, and yeah, she seemed very serious, but I think she was just in the, in the moment with that particular event. A lot of the time people think people are really serious or aloof. They're just chronically shy. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Anytime you think somebody's aloof, they're, they're usually just shy. 
Yeah, you're chronically shy too. I've noticed. Yeah. As we've... <laughs> uh, oh boy. Uh, so, what? Um, at at this point, I mean, these films. There should be a series of these films. So, wh- where where's all of this at for you? And in, in 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 your well, both the actual my, thing and the career. Due to my overreactive bridge burning diva behavior. The second What About Me film got kind of shelved for about five years because of, um, you know, various ways that we were melting down. And and also the company that, that paid for it got then got bought and the new company didn't know, you know. So five years later, it never really got released, What About Me, apart from it being a DVD on Amazon. It never kind of got a release of any kind or any advertising or, you know, launch of any kind. It just was stuck on Amazon. And luckily, this great friend of mine who came to one of my workshops and and also had found What About Me had been a very pivotal part of his um, healing um, at a difficult time in his life with his wife, Um, he went and bought it back from the company. So we are right now this year up-resing it, repurposing it, cutting a few bits out, putting a few more bits back in, and it's going to be properly released um, probably early next year. Really? So. Uh, after that is done, we could get on with number three. Uh huh. So that's all still very much part of. of yeah, the... I mean, me and Duncan. After we made the second one, we we needed a few years to not be in each other's company. Um, we needed some space from each other because it was deeply wounding finishing that film mm-hmm. on a personal level. We went through a lot, um, not just connected with the film, but connected with each other. And both our dads died, and both of us fell off the horse in totally different ways, and and couldn't quite support each other the way we always had. And it was it was quite traumatic, and we needed a long break. And we've uh, recently been reconnecting so beautifully, and it's been so wonderful to be in each other's space again. Um, and also, you know, at the same time that this guy Steve has bought One Giant Leap, what about me back from the own, from the original owners? It's all kind of coming together, and it's it's yeah, it feels really good. Mm, that's great. Um, and uh, you know, we're. Uh just to let everybody know, of course, uh, the the way that I was um, introduced to Jamie was through Ramdas, as uh, most of you know, the work that I do with him. And so uh, Jamie had this great idea to work with Ramdas around around some of the work that he's been doing with people around. Uh, woundedness and uh, shadow and the stuff we cover up and bury and so on and bringing that to light and uh, who better a person of course Ramdas would be and so uh, that's an ongoing project and it delightfully led uh, Jamie and I to be spending a little bit more Skype time together and so on so uh, just uh, why don't we what what what's interesting to me Jamie is this work that you're doing, this workshop stuff that you talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and um, just talk about it. Uh, what's happening to you through this work with people? Well, it's good that you say that because, like, I try and, you know, I'm very influenced by Ram Dass and and I'm very much the biggest fool in the room when I'm teaching. I don't kind of elevate myself unless I'm sending myself up, you know, like, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I am constantly mirrored by whatever is going on in the room. So what people are going through and the things that I'm required to then 
share and talk about or hold the space for are always the curriculum of things that I need to myself become aware of. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about teaching is that what, whatever advice you are or, or insight you are called upon to share is really God giving you your menu of things you do well to take note of. You know, anybody coming to you asking for your advice is really preview time for something you need to remember next week. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so for me, it's just been a constant um, new form of making music, really. And, and the 40 people that come every weekend uh, in different locations are the orchestra. And everybody brings this synthesis of their story and shares. It's not so much dealing with the past. It's more dealing with what's here right now. We're not interested really in, in, in you know, my difficult childhood or blah, blah, blah. More interested in dissolving what is in the way right now, the limiting and negative beliefs we have right now, which are in the way of the genius. It's not like you can get genius and put it in. But like Michelangelo said when about the, the David sculpture, he said, you know, the sculpture was already there. I was just moving the excess rock out of the way. And that's what we're doing on the weekends with me, with them, with all of us, is we're trying to be so present and so loving and so undramatic about it all um, that just it naturally what's in the way of our genius dissolves. We don't need to put anything in. Just by bringing our light of awareness and mischief and foolishness to our crazy, wounded um, behavior, it just seems to melt what's in the way. Like I say on, on the workshops a lot, we are all of us, each of us, a wise guru in charge of a mental patient. <laughs> That's good. Can, that. you, can you just tell us a few things, that interactive things that happen between you and your, the other folks there? I mean, them what as well. What things do we do? Yeah, stuff that happens, you know. That just yeah, I mean, we do stuff which is just basically... Um, like one of the games we play is, um, is all around our suffering. Uh, like we have elevated suffering in our culture as if it's, you know, largely because of Christianity, we've elevated suffering as if it's the new currency. So like, you know, a lot of people who have kids will, will, will recognize this. You know, she says to him, honey, can you change this diaper? I've done the last four. And he goes, done the last four? I've been working for the last eight hours. And she goes, working for the last eight hours? I've been up with him for the last 16 nights. And now we're playing martyr tennis. Uh, backwards and forwards and whoever suffered the most wins or gets the love or gets their own way we have this whole you know you get to work and you go oh the traffic was terrible and someone goes oh let me make you a cup of tea and it's like you just got that cup of tea with your little suffering offering um, so much of the time we're using our suffering to indirectly get our needs met rather than directly vulnerably say hey I need some support so what we do is we sit and we make a master list of all the things we do to indirectly manipulate um, you know, attention with our suffering, like looking upset until they notice, uh, no, it... complaining about costs and money, um, going on about how little sleep you've had or how much to do you've got with so little time or going on about how much you gave that wasn't fairly reciprocated or showing people the wound or, you know, it goes on and on and on. And you realize how much of the communication between us is using suffering to get attention um, and it's just something, you know, you, anyone asks themselves a very deep question, would God still love me just as much without my suffering? So what we do is we make this huge list of all our manipulations and all the ways that we, we do this, and everyone's cracking up because everybody does it, and then everyone sits in groups of four and, and does exaggerated impersonations of themselves suffering for love. Really? That's great. Um, that's and great. it's really hilarious. And then if everybody wants to, at the end, we do kind of 
Uh, have you ever you seen this show on TV, Pop Idol? No. No. It's like X Factor. It's like a sort oh yeah of, yeah but yeah like oh yeah, yeah 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 yeah. So we play Victim Idol, and whoever wants to comes <laughs> to the front and suffers for the whole room. And, and elicits as much fake sympathy from the room as they can, and it tenderly uh, it tenderly dissolves and busts our strategies for inauthentically getting our needs met, you know, and, and things like that. You know, we bust ourselves for all our foolishness. Larry David would be perfect up uh, for that. <laughs> Absolutely. So it must grow week after week. I mean, you get some of the same people right coming back. Yeah, and, sometimes. Yeah. And well, I have to think that once you've come once, you can come forever for free. So it does, it does kind of grow a bit like that, and they, come and, and they come and heckle me. <laughs> now, is there any uh, what one would call a more um, Catholic-type spiritual practices, and I don't mean Christianity? Um, you know, it's more, like... I think I'm more Taoist than uh -huh. anything like we do a lot of ancient Chinese very practical stuff like dissolving meditation, smiling into your organs. Every Sunday morning in, in the, in the when, no matter what workshops we're doing, whether it's an intimacy workshop or a transforming shadows, whatever we're doing, we always on a Sunday morning do this 15 minutes smiling and smiling gratitude into our organs and breathing in the virtue. You know, the Chinese, the ancient Chinese, they weren't just incredibly scientific, pragmatic, meticulous about the energies of the organs. They were also very lyrical and poetic about it. So every organ has a season, like the kidneys is winter, the lungs mm. is autumn. They all have an element. The liver is wood. The spleen is um, earth. And they also all have a virtue and a vice. So like, for instance, the kidneys, you breathe in gentleness and you exhale fear. And with the lungs, you breathe in courage and you exhale grief. And with the heart, you breathe in compassion and love and you exhale haste and, and impatience so they all have a very definite frequency and energy and we, we breathe them in and out hmm. and smile into our organs on a sunday morning so that's a more kind of directly practical thing but like, you, i tend you, to lean towards i tend to lean towards the the, the daoist stuff uh -huh. we also do uh, in the what about you which is the project building workshop we do a bastardized vision quest where everybody generously lends each other their imagination to vision their big dream and they start bringing lent platting together four imaginations at once so they all see the same vision and then and then dry, harvest it so well we this is stuff from different places yeah you would love my wife by the way you oh, met yeah? my wife i'm looking at her picture right now she's hot <laughs> that's right but she is saraswati the goddess of wisdom God and she uh, is a Chinese medicine doctor. And now everything you're saying is what I hear every day. This is what she teaches. You guys will get along. So and this is a, you know, hey, it's interesting to me and David, I'm sure, you know, related to what you're doing now. How old are you now, may I ask? It's, you know, yeah, I'm 45. I was going to say 45. So it's like we, we've been talking about, okay, where's this, you know, there's, there's Ramdas you know, who is now 83, and uh, he just turned 83 this past April, and so, you know, he's saying, I'm happy, I fulfilled the actuaries, <laughs> so he's ready for anything, um, and then, you know, there's those that were 20 years probably, you know, maybe less, depending, uh, that went and uh, to India after he went back the second time, 
and many of us that have come back are, you know, all sorts of different kinds of teachers and, and people, you know, active in social action, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then so we're always thinking, you know, and then we ha- our circle includes people like Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Roshi Joan Hallam, you know, these people. Uh, and we sit around and go, OK, where's the next wave of of teachers going to well it's funny you should say that it's very funny you should say that because when we were shooting the you know we just started making a movie with Ram Dass recently and I was shooting with him in in Maui last year or this year whenever it was Um, I was kind of hoping I was going to be given the keys to the spiritual executive washroom on that trip I was I I didn't get it and I think that's going to be a, a key moment in the movie that you show this young guy like me who's come to talk to his spiritual father, Ram Dass, and you can see that I'm hanging out for something. And then there's this moment right at the end of the fourth two-hour interview, right at or three-hour interview, right at the end of the last interview, we were talking about mirrors and his new book, Polishing the Mirror, and he and I said to him, you know, slightly, hopefully, so have there been any mirrors for you, you know, during these four interviews? And he goes, oh, yes, oh, yes. And immediately my heart, oh, great, at last I'm going to get my juice. And he looked at me and, and almost compassionately he went, I'm so sick of this role. You come here with your devotional face on and I'm just like, you could see my whole sense slump uh, <laughs> that uh, I had uh, yeah, not get, get, got given the keys to the spiritual executive washroom. But uh, he was very, very affectionate and, and sweet to me, and he gave me a kiss and said, "You're fun." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah so, but the, the very fact that he, he he had you know he has the cojones for seventy years to say that to you, you know, not just be yeah, polite just, to the, in, the the British interviewer, you know, and he yeah. said that thing to you, and we've all experienced that with him. That that's his that's his knife through the uh, through the yeah. mist, you know. You know, it's, it's very compassionately delivered. You know? Right, He's right, very right, sweet. right. And 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 it was also like I I half concocted the movie so that I would have an excuse to go to Maui to see him. <laughs> um, and um, when we said goodbye, it really was kind of goodbye for this lifetime. It felt like I, I don't expect I'm going to be back in Maui again anytime soon. I mean, I, I don't know if I'll see him, but but he looked at me as we said goodbye, and he, when he said goodbye, it was like the goodbye came out of his mouth and slow in slow motion came across the room and and it impacted my heart very gently and yet impactfully mm. i i really felt that goodbye it was like it was it was quite quite beautiful but also i, I felt some grief and some i don't know mm. right mm. you know uh, one of the th- things that uh, he used to do a long time ago is uh, when you were talking about the different interactivities that you do in your workshops with people. He used to do one with us way back when we were in India. We had a little sort of ashram in the foothills of the Himalayas because Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji had sent, gotten rid of us and sent us up there for a couple of months to supposedly meditate, which we did some of. And uh, the other thing we do is individually people would go s- sit with Ramdas in his room and this was a it was an ashram where Gandhi wrote one of his books, so it was a Gandhi ashram, and it, you know there was uh, twenty odd people, uh, each with their own room, and uh, so you'd sit with him and do eye contact with him, and he would say, "If there's anything you're afraid to say or even think, say it now," and people's stuff would spill out like. 
you know, suddenly a fire hose being turned on. <laughs> it was just yeah. spectacular. And the great thing was that uh, it was an Indian building, so everybody could hear everything uh, on either side of the walls and upstairs, downstairs. Okay, yeah, so nice. so everyone so it started so these people who were right around Ramdas's room at lunch uh, would start sharing what it was that everybody had going. Everybody had the same thing going. It was yeah. spectacular. Sex, Beautiful. shame, and desire around sex. Everyone, every last mother of us all. So, uh, yeah, very freeing that stuff can be, you know, those exercises. So yeah, so yeah. great you're doing this, Jamie. You know, I, I mean, we talk, Jamie and I, you know, we do talk, you know, fairly uh, often. And it's mostly around the movie and, and the getting him what he needs. And I know he does the workshops, but we've never really talked about it. So it's nice to hear that, uh, you know, there's a way in which uh, what we do at Mind Rolling is to, you know, we want to offer out whatever our experience is, but on a really practical, you know, down-to-earth level. I mean, I, I just, for instance, did a podcast with uh, Sharon Salzberg for her new podcast series. And uh, we talked about the Eightfold Noble Path of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. and But... In she uh, she talked about it in the most practical possible ways about how just us regular average Joes can um, use this information positively and trans you know and and in helping us transform our daily lives. So this this to me is you know similar to what you you are doing, and I appreciate it. Now Definitely, I mean one of the biggest influences for me of recent years is is our lovely wonderful. Uh, Pema Chodron absolutely and you know she's the most down-to-earth practical teacher you know the way she puts it mm. and her guru uh, her Rinpoche his mantra was no big deal um, Trungpa and, Rinpoche yeah and and that's what I've really discovered which has been a you know it's actually the next workshop I'm doing I'm just creating it right now it's called insanely gifted and um, a huge part of that is depersonalizing all the challenge so you know we go through anger we go through demons we go through terrors and jealousies and up until recently mine has always been my terror because of what happened to me in the womb or what happened when i was a kid or my jealousy because i've got issues about this or my issues or my demons and since reading her stuff and particularly her stuff about tonglen and, and it was really wonderful kind of eye-opening head-opening heart-opening thing mm -hmm. that Actually, my anger, my jealousy, my neediness could easily just be spoken as the anger, the neediness. Mm -hmm. it, it's just everyone's got it. It's, it doesn't need to be so personal. You know, it, it keeps it a lot more sticky and a lot more um, – it stays longer when I'm very much empowering it all with the personal side of my neediness and my anger or my whatever. But when I remember actually that the, your neediness probably feels not very dissimilar from my neediness and the guy in Paris at the moment sitting there feeling needy or the woman in Barcelona or in Utah, it's just the neediness. Mm -hmm. And when I start feeling it as, as if I'm tuning into the great big well of neediness that's everyone rather than just Jamie's little story, it's a very freeing and right. progressive way to feel it. So uh, that's that's kind of slightly new to me. And I'm so, but I'm still going to teach it. Yeah, that, a, that, that's. I, a, have the, I have the idea at nine o'clock and start teaching it at ten o'clock. I'm a yeah, bit like. But that is uh, actually an old Buddhist tenet, 
and when we have the connectivity and we start to realize that our it is all our it is and and we we get out from under me and them an old buddhist tenet uh <laughs> it's uh really just uh, a practical tenet uh there is uh a particular practice of loving kindness is what i was referring to in buddhism that gets us to this place that you were exactly talking about so yeah i good mean that's stuff. I, I really it's been really moving for me that because you know i wake up a lot of mornings with a pressure on my chest mm. of anxiety or of something i'm not quite sure what it is and i've done this started this practice that is often taught by this great teacher called bruce francis who's a taoist lineage master who teaches a lot of qigong and tai chi mm. to get away from the mind who's thinking is it the bank balance is it something i'm worried about my girlfriend or no it's not it's the body's genius discharging some accumulated emotional constipated yuck that i've got in me i don't need to attach it to a whole story that my mind is using to solve it just breathe gently where it is in my body and let it start dissolving you know, to come and meet it in the body rather than in the story is another huge step forward. Mm, yeah. I just gave a little talk about that yesterday in front of a hundred uh, company heads. <laughs> oh, really? um, and I said, you know, I could talk in general terms, but I'd actually like to give you a, a clear tool today. And so I talked to them about instead of fighting battles externally and controlling, manipulating, condemning and blaming people, to which is really just a way to not feel our feelings it's a way we abandon ourselves we don't like how we're feeling so we want to battle someone externally to get it, get rid of that feeling i said to, if you can be daring enough to stop battling the person that you think made you feel that way and turn your attention inside and just start feeling that feeling you're trying to avoid and love yourself in it and stroke your chest and gently breathe into it it turns your life from black and white into color and and if that doesn't work for you folks when you get up in the morning, chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, and don't worry about your mind at all. Let it all just pass through. Um, I, I'm, I was at a uh, Hare Krishna convocation of three days of chanting uh, with a friend of mine, with Sridhar. Remember Sridhar? Yeah. And uh yeah, and that's all that was going on. Some of the greatest kirtan alive and it made me remember uh well, actually I just started listening to it and uh I'd wake up in the morning with that in my head, so that uh completely cleaned out all of the bank balance stuff. But hey, different strokes for different folks in terms of whatever works for you to be able to get up and not feel that thing on your chest is what to go for, absolutely. Yeah. Um, hey, it's been great, Jamie. Yeah, thanks. We really thanks, appreciate guys. you. And uh, we everybody, uh, go look for One Giant Leap. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com. Help us out there with well, however also, you can. Uh, yes. There's a you might enjoy that we just brought out much more recently. Oh, uh, yes. Sounds True. Sounds True, you know that label in Colorado? Sounds True are our close friends. They, they put out a record I made with another friend called Alex called Internal Music for Dissolving. It's mm. very, very gentle, instrumental, spacious music for mm. feeling more, for, for meditation, especially for going inside, um, for releasing grief, for releasing anything that you're carrying. It's called Internal Music for Dissolving. Um, so let me know if you, if you dig that one too. Okay, great. great. Yep. We will absolutely um, continue with this as uh, as we uh, delve more 
into this film that uh, Jamie is working on that uh, we will uh, be a part of here from uh, the Ramdas Foundation, Love, Serve, Remember, and you'll hear about it on Mind Rolling. Thanks again, Jamie. Yeah, ciao. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, great. Ciao. Bye-bye.